podcast has bad words. <laughs> hey, y'all, this is the Minimalist Private Podcast. We're here with Matt Diavella. Well, and Ryan will be back in the room soon. He's in the bathroom. We're going to talk about making less is now. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. Matt, we start with this segment on these maximum episodes called more about less we usually read an article where like it's like a, just a jump off point but instead of reading an article today i wanted to talk to you about the first video <laughs> Dude, of yours i saw I this saw. in the notes this is ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> so um you were a wedding videographer at some point mm-hmm. and um you had a video called most wedding videographers suck i couldn't find it anywhere on the web anymore <laughs> I've got it somewhere. Sadly. Yeah, it's on a hard one of those. Yep. the stack of hard drives. Yep. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about this. So, um, mm-hmm. you, I think people often do this when they are making uh, a career for themselves. They, I don't know if this is the case for everyone. I think there are probably some, uh, very few, but there are some wedding videographers who like absolutely love what they're doing. Mm. I assume totally. that's true. Yeah, I met a lot of them. And I think a lot of them, though, settle because that's where the, I won't even say easy money, but that's where the easier money is because that's who's hiring filmmakers quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you started. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, why most wedding videographers suck? I think um, there's a, a, an explanation is necessary. <laughs> uh, well, one thing is so interesting about that is that that's like really... I had never really done any on-camera type stuff before. And that was like me, um, if I really think back to it, that was me starting to try that whole YouTube online creator, original content creator thing that I was so inspired by, by people like you who created a life for themselves where you can write essays and build an audience. And that that was your day-to-day. And that, to me, looked amazing. And so I was obviously a wedding videographer. And uh, you know I did a lot of corporate videos and uh, local TV commercials and bar mitzvahs. And, um, you know, the one thing that I noticed was that we were at a tipping point in terms of like the gear and the technology and the way that people were starting to do it looked very different from the way people used to do it. Uh And so like wedding videographers for the longest time, it was like, you know, this this dude with a massive camera, like shoulder mounted light on the top. Um, There were so many things from a technical perspective. and also just from an intrusive perspective where oftentimes you have this camera guy in your face. Mm. And so me and I was a bit sensational at the time sure. um, to say something like that. Most wedding videographers suck. My thought process was that, okay, well, most uh, like you don't have to be one of these people. These are some things that you shouldn't be doing. You shouldn't be in somebody's face. You shouldn't have a massive light on your camera if it's going to disrupt the actual event. You should be really invisible in that event. And so uh, that was kind of the the precipice of that. And it's funny because that you noticed that video early on. This was, I think, maybe we followed each other on Twitter at the time. Yeah, I think but it was we had 20, met in 20, 2011 when I wow. uh, you you came across my screen. I think it was because of Colleen somehow. I don't know if you remember Colleen, mm, but yeah. Um, yeah, and and I, I remember seeing that from you, and I'm like, it, what it communicated to me. I'll tell you because I saw it as a broader metaphor for something, where it was like, hey, we often settle for doing something with our life that's adjacent to what we want to do because it's the it's the path that's already traveled. Sorry, we had to get started. He has to leave yeah, soon. No, sorry. Um, no, good. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Nicodemus just walked in. Hello. <laughs> All right, so uh, start over. <laughs> we're talking what about did I what, miss? What are we talking about right now? Most wedding videographers suck. At his, the first oh. video I saw of him. Yeah. Uh, this is back in 2011. We started following each other on Twitter. And the the thing that I saw it as was a, a broader metaphor, how many of us often settle for something that is sort of adjacent mm. to the thing we want to do. Yeah. Uh, mm. for, for me, I... Yeah. I wanted to lead people, and 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 so in my twenties, I found that well, the the way I can do that is become a manager of a retail store, yeah. right? But most retail store managers suck, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so yeah. I, 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 to me, there was like actually more profundity in what you were talking about there. Yeah, and I and I think the one thing that I've noticed over the past uh, decade really has been that. You know what? Uh, it's I wouldn't say that I didn't. I wasn't settling at the time, 
Um, you know, certainly some people do. At the time, it was a challenge. Like, you know, I I was just graduated college, and so making wedding videos, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of pressure. There's a lot at stake. Like, e- even getting wedding clients to begin with, it's not easy. It's not easy to build any business mm-hmm. and to find new clients, and then to have that word of mouth spread and continue to deliver and all these things. And so, Wait, there, let me let me just let me, yeah. let me stop there real quick and just say this. You're right. It's not easy, but it's easier than making a Netflix film that is seen by tens of millions of people yeah and i certainly wasn't ready at that point when i was 22 years old 23 years old to branch off and and make a netflix documentary and so i think there was like it was the building stones i was learning and like i'm shooting these live events like a a wedding is a lot of pressure for somebody who's that young and who's for doing it themselves because if you forget to hit record which i have done on some shoots before then you end up not on weddings but like on reality (laughs) tv shows i I forgot mill i recall uh, Meek Mill, I, yeah, I, I didn't actually forget to hit record on that, but Meek Mill, um, that was a whole different yeah, saga. That was a saga. Know, yeah. Love, love Meek Mill, uh, yeah. and and he ended up loving the documentary I put together. Yeah. Uh, but he just didn't like the stranger following him around. Right, <laughs> like understandably so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like for me, it was. Um, it was it was not settling they got me to move out of weddings and it's like and so many people i see this in it's like every two or three years people reinvent themselves or uh, if they're really courageous mm. and they do something completely different and mm. so i see a lot of people um you know doing that in the corporate world where you leave a job that you you're not satisfied with every two years like mm. i've seen this with my wife natalie where every two years she would switch jobs to the point where uh, just a, last year, she decided to make a, a really massive leap to go freelance. Mm. And like, it's terrifying to leave the comforts of what works well mm-hmm. to do something that's so uncertain, but you know that you're just not gonna be happy in that previous path. Mm. And I think in a lot of ways that was similar to me with the wedding videos, like to to be to stop the wedding videos, which is like good money, like making two to three thousand dollars per wedding that I did yeah. helped me to pay off my debt. But eventually I was like, this is not where I want my career to go. And so I put a stop to it. Uh, mm. I stopped doing weddings and then transitioned to corporate and then two or three years doing just like working with tech companies. Uh, mm. Eventually I was ready to transition to make my first feature doc is when we that's when we met and got started. There's something here, though, about how sometimes we have to temporarily do something that we may not absolutely love it's just you know it it, the means justifies the end as far as paying off your debt and you know and then going into the corporate world and making money there uh but uh, so there's a lesson there but also the lesson which we talked about in the minimal minimal episode which is when you force yourself to make money from the thing that you love you end up a usually uh, having not as good creations as you would if, if you just did something that you absolutely love to do. Um, and then also you can kill that passion. And I'm so grateful that you did not kill your passion for, for film. Um, but I do see what you're saying about how it was it was this transition of, okay, how can I go from weddings <laughs> to making documentaries? But you did everything that you needed to do along the way. Because sometimes you have to do some things to realize like, oh, that's not what I want to do. Like the weddings, yeah. yeah, you looked at it as business. Yeah, and, w- yeah, and like I said, like it wasn't just pure like only doing it for the money uh, like there was right. like the like the enjoyment yeah. out of it but like also being $117,000 in debt as we talked about in the minimal episode that is something that holds you back from making those transitions earlier than you could because um as you know like when you're just getting started out like you have to say yes to as much as you possibly can until your plate is completely full mm-hmm. and then you can start saying no to things and replacing mm-hmm. it with the things that you really love and yeah. hopefully you can eventually swap it to being nothing but you love that's what you do mm-hmm. um and um but in the beginning it's really difficult to do that especially when you have as much debt as i did yeah yeah it's it's just strange how or funny how uh debt makes us do some strange things yeah 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 why why filmmaking? Uh, you know what? Like when I was really young, I think maybe like part of it was seeing like my older brother and sister get into like the VHS camera and like we would make videos. And since I was the youngest one, like everybody always wanted to be on camera. And so I was the one that would grab the camera and like film and we would make these little horror movies and stuff. Mm. And so I just <laughs> remember like the creative element of that, even doing it so young, like eight years old as a kid playing around and doing stop animations with my brother. I remember that being a lot of fun, like that creative process. Mm. And then when I went to high school, I was so fortunate that my high school had a really great 
TV production and like video editing classes. Mm -hmm. um, they had a lot of tools that a lot of other schools didn't have. And so that's where I got to play around and experiment with it and then mm -hmm. just really fall in love. And like, it was the one thing awesome. that you, uh, you didn't have to force me to do. So like science and math and all these other things were really a drag for me. Mm. But when it came to video editing and, and and really I think editing was the part I fell in love with most, although like filming was still a lot of fun. Like I would be study hall and during lunch working on videos and editing, eating my lunch at the desk. And um, that to me was this, an indicator that this is what I wanted to do. I just, at the time, it, w it was a different world. Now I think it's, you see so many more examples of independent filmmakers today. It's just like everywhere. But at the time it was like, I didn't know if I was gonna be able to make it happen. And, um, but luckily I just stuck with it because it was all I had. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man, Look, I wanna talk about how on tour, every time we stopped at a restaurant, Matt would order the most Italian dish <laughs> on the menu. I thought you were going to tell a different story. <laughs> no, no, this is uh, this is where the Italian stallion comes from. Um, because this is absolutely I, not true. Yes, it is. Is is that not true? No. Where came from? It oh. happened once. It no. happened once. And oh. then it, well, we were at a pizza place and he ordered like the chicken marinara. No, 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 no. We were at a Mexican, Mexican restaurant. Oh, that's right. And yeah, you got yeah. the chicken marinara. <laughs> well, we were in the Southwest and we, it was nothing but Mexican restaurant after Mexican yeah. restaurant. Love it. But like after so many burritos, you I was like, up. you know what? Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's just the fact that like it's I think it's just sacrilege to like order a meatball parmesan <laughs> right, at a Mexican, at a Mexican restaurant. place. But oh. they had it. They had it there yeah, on the menu. It's so good. I so remember good. it being right. delicious. I'll as stop well. giving you a hard time about it. I'm I sorry. love it. Actually. Do you mind pouring me a, so I don't have to touch what it? What is it? The water? Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Thank uh, you. So Matt, let's talk about we can go back to we Next first time. met via Twitter in twenty eleven, uh, connected in person twenty thirteen for everything that remains. The you filmed the book trailer. We we had an mm -hmm. event like a media event. Talk about adding value. Yeah. I mean, he just reached out to us and he was like, hey. I reached out to him. Oh. Thing. Okay. What happened was, With the well, book this is actually crazy. We got to give okay. Michelle Diavella, my sister, props because uh -huh. she saw that you guys posted something on your website. I think you were looking for like a video intern or somebody to help you out with videos. Mm. It seemed like you, you guys were like, you know, we don't have a lot of money, but like we're really trying to find somebody to help us uh, put some videos together, maybe make a book trailer. Mm -hmm. And then my sister sent it to me because she knew that I read your guys' blog. Mm. And then... I reached out and I said, you know, like I've gotten so much value from the work that you guys have done. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm not an intern, but like I, I'd be happy to give you whatever discount. I'll, I'll make this video for whatever you guys would be happy to pay me for it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm in New York, and like I think it ended up working out. And then you were like, yeah. And then we ended yeah. up working together. And then um, that was when we met was through mm -hmm. that first shoot that we did. It was almost it was like a client relationship where you guys like, hired yeah. me to work on the video. That's when I knew. He was very, very talented because uh, he, all you had was like, a, I don't know what kind of camera it was, but for all intents and purposes, to me, it didn't look like a video camera. <laughs> it just looked like, you know, a digital whatever. Yeah. Um, it was a very nice uh, Canon or whatever it was. Um, and then the like the lapel mics, which I still think you have these same janky yeah. lapel mics. <laughs> I wouldn't call them janky. No, they're not janky. <laughs> Old and broken. Old and, and broken. Worn. Yeah, exactly. But um, I just remember thinking, because we've had other people who were like, hey, we'll film for you. Mm. And they end up filming something and they send it to us and we're like, oh, okay. Like, thank you for the effort but like this isn't something we're gonna like you know jordan yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not true at all we love jordan's work of course but when you sent us that book trailer i was just like oh man like this dude is talented because i mean it and this just goes back to limitations breed creativity i mean you didn't have a whole lot of equipment i mean it was yeah. in the bookshop that we did that and uh it was just it was an incredible and book it, trailer you know it's funny it's like it's it's all of that that work I did before, the weddings, like all those hours of work that I put into filming, um, it allowed me to figure out the camera. I always say that the best camera isn't the one you have, it's the one you master. So many people say, it's like yeah. the best camera is the one you have. But like, if you don't really take the time to learn it in and out and understand how this thing works and how to shoot it really well, yeah. um, then you're not gonna be able to take advantage of it and the mm -hmm. camera's gonna be no good. Mm. But um, it's so funny, like thinking about that first, that first time that we met, the... What, what I think about is like I picked you guys up from the airport yeah. and like you guys were like celebrities in my mind so ah. I was like nervous I was like oh my god and like it was pretty early on for you guys yeah. like you had a big audience at the time right. but for me I'm like I never met I don't think I had ever met somebody that I had like followed online before right. and so like I picked you up I remember it's so funny I, I picked you up in my Kia Forte coupe I do remember 2010 yep. Yep. I was a little self-conscious because I was like is this car gonna be a little bit too nice for them oh, <laughs> that's funny dude. and I was like it's a Kia but and then like I mean I think that was what I was struck by you guys 
guys, I was like, oh, they're just like regular guys. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, you guys hadn't done a lot of video or audio or anything like that back in those days. Mm -hmm. And so all I could gather was like from looking at photos and then reading your essays. And I was just struck by like how personable you are. And I think that's what comes through in the podcast and and all the video stuff you do. That's awesome. But it was, uh, yeah, it, it was funny. That was long long time ago <laughs> yeah one of the best compliments i get at like uh when we do book readings or po- live podcasts or whatever someone will come up to me afterward and have a bit of a conversation and they're like you are exactly how i thought you were from your podcast and yeah no i'm, I'm glad to hear that you saw us just i don't look at josh as just a regular guy but i'm glad that you saw us saw us as just normal guys. people yeah. below average so, so, <laughs> so it went from it went from the book trailer to hey uh maybe we could film a documentary but again i mean getting back to this theme of you going out of your way to add value like that is how you've gotten to where you are today like you have it's never been about uh the money it's never at least with with the creations that you've done with us it's never been about the money it's been about hey we could do something good here we can make something beautiful and um yeah and then it's the success kind of follows when after you focus on adding value i feel like i think pushing yourself out of your comfort zone too Mm. because josh was the one that that sparked it it's funny because i I did have in the back of my mind i even i just found it like i just told you guys i was going through all this old hard drive footage Mm. i found footage of me decluttering and minimizing like back home with my parents because like i remember the time when i first got into it i was like oh my god this would be amazing documentary Mm. i just wasn't very good at filming myself at the time Mm. and like so like all the footage is garbage but like it still is i think some of it will be interesting to use Mm. but like i remember at that time thinking like how cool would it be to do a documentary on minimalism and then like I remember thinking like, oh, like all these people that we could interview, like the minimalist and Leo mm. and whatever. And then, so I had this idea, like I was like, there's nobody's done in this idea before to do a documentary on minimalism. And then Josh called me out of the blue. We never talked about it. And then you're like, hey, I, um, you know, I want to do, I think it was like a tour documentary, but like we're going on tour and we want to shoot a documentary. Yeah. And uh, that was when it like initially sparked. And so for me, I was like, oh my God, like this is like, this is what I've been thinking about. And so then we brought those ideas together and made something uh, that was really special. But I think for me too, it was like, it's, it's yes, it's adding value, but it's also like as a creative, finding something that's really challenging mm-hmm. that you're not sure if you can actually pull it off. Mm-hmm. Stretching your abilities to their limits. And, you know, like I said, I probably couldn't have done it when I first graduated college. I know some people who do, who have done that. Like the first video they ever made was a documentary and they got yeah. it on Netflix. And like, mm-hmm. there's like right. people that are able to pull that off. Yeah. But I, I mean, think they say that about Dave Chappelle, like the first yeah. time he went on stage, he got tons of laughs. Like oh. it, there are some sort of, you can call them natural or whatever, but, but uh, sometimes it's just getting lucky that first time as well. Right. Yeah. Now what, what I saw when we, started you know, working together on, on that, what I learned, what you taught me in a way, and I think I knew this, but I, it solidified it for me, two things that were really, really useful for me that I carry forward to this day. One is the team effort that he even went into minimalism. Now, uh, there was an even much bigger team with less is now, mm. uh, which by the way is out, um, patrons, if you want to check it out, it's out um, on tomorrow, on Friday, uh, the new year. Um, Less is now on Netflix. Anyway, uh, what I've learned is the the power of team. It's different from art by committee, and because art by committee never works, right? You don't get you don't get like twelve people in a conference room and they paint a Picasso painting. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a team together, and then with that team, trusting the expertise of the person, deferring to the expert, and you know I've. And you've done the same thing, Ryan. I've constantly mm-hmm. deferred to to Matt with any of these things. Now we'll have input, but only if, not input for input's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Netflix was really good about this as well uh, on this film. They they didn't just come in and say, "Well, here's our notes. Here's 17 things we think you should do." No, only if we think it's going to add value to the project. But trusting the person who's creating and, and just being part of that creative process. So mm-hmm. um, let's talk about that because it requires a special kind of team to be able to trust all everyone we're working with. Mm. I think it takes time too, because like trust obviously grows as you develop these relationships. And I think the one thing that was unique about our initial uh, relationship and friendship was that we didn't really know each other that well when we started the documentary. <laughs> I mean, like we had met once or twice and we had um, maybe a couple phone calls leading into it, but we, it really was just grab a camera, let's go. Yeah. And then we hit the road and we got to know each other and we re- really got along over the time that we were on tour together. And I think the trust continued to build. And 
And I think the trust, um, it comes in many ways in like, uh, you know, obviously we talk about the Fargo incident a lot when and mm. I sent you guys this, um, when I recut the entire film mm. yeah. and then you guys came to me and, and were honest and said like, you know, this is just, it's really not working out. Like this, <laughs> this film is, you said it in the nicest way possible. This mm. film is sucks. <laughs> well, it was the sixth cut too. So we had, well, yeah. let's set the stage for people who aren't familiar with the Fargo incident. <laughs> we had a fifth cut of the film. We were getting ready to debut this is 2015, May of 2015, uh, world premiere, fifth, uh, the fifth cut of the film, Fargo, North Dakota. This is Misfit, right? Packed yeah. crowd. Yeah. Packed crowd. Yeah, sold out theater, downtown think, Fargo. Yeah, I think we saw this cut that he sent us after. No. No, hold no, on. So what, okay. Yeah, so what happened Sorry. was it was, okay, I'll tell the story. A week. <laughs> no, no. Sorry. But basically, no, it's okay. But like a week before Fargo, right? <clears> it's a big day. This is my first feature length film. This is the first time that ever I'm ever going to be like launching something like this out into the world for a bunch of people to see mm-hmm. and potentially criticize. Like I have no idea. The, the Fargo is very, very supportive yeah. crowd. Yeah. Um, but way, like the governor of North Dakota was there. <laughs> yes. Really? Yeah. yeah, he was. Wow, I should add that to my resume. <laughs> <laughs> so like it was like a week before and I secretly by myself went in, dug my head in and I'm like re-editing this thing without telling anybody. (laughs) And so I re-edited the entire film one day before the film goes to launch. Mm. I call Josh and I say, hey man, so uh, I was so nervous. I was like, (laughs) I recut the entire film. And then you're like, all right, cool. No, yeah, like send it to me. Like, let's check it out. And I was like, this is the film that I want to really to screen in Fargo tomorrow. And he said, okay, let's watch it. And then you know, you guys uh, got, got together. together. Yeah, eight yeah. of you guys, I think, were in a, in a hotel room together. Yeah. Uh, watched the film. I was by myself because I couldn't make it to Fargo. And uh, I, so it was me on one end and then eight other people on the other end of this Zoom call. And you guys, again, in the nicest way possible, told me that just the film wasn't working out. And yeah. The film was really bad and that oh. the original version was way better. And I remember just being crushed and being like, oh, my God, this is like this is absolutely awful mm. and um it really hurt i did my best to like be like okay you know totally yeah no you guys are totally right <laughs> like, <laughs> i get it and then we ended up uh at that point then we we screened the film i think the next day in fargo mm-hmm. and i'm i'm probably unique and might be the only director that's ever been disappointed in a standing ovation <laughs> <laughs> but there was a standing ovation after yeah. the film that you guys wanted to show yeah and then i remember just being like well that's it <laughs> like i'm never gonna be able to make the changes i want to the film uh, but then uh you know a couple months went by and then uh, i i still in my heart didn't feel like the film was complete and then we yeah. continued to put our heads down and continue to work on it and back and forth and so many revisions and so like hours and hours of phone calls between all of us we interviewed more people as well we interviewed a lot more people mm. like so much more depth and so yeah. much more clarity in the message of the film that eventually came out that like night and day difference um so it was one of those things where i like i like i had to go with my gut but like certainly was uh it was a bummer when it first <laughs> when i first got that feedback but i think that's what i that's again it comes back to the trust it's like yeah. i trusted your opinion you guys trusted me yeah and um you knew that i was on to something and i think that as i continue to to come through with new scenes and, mm-hmm. and adjust the film in the future you knew that um you trusted me to do the right thing for the film yeah so. and, and we never just told you like no i mean it was more about like hey here's how we feel about the film and uh, yeah, it, it was this team effort of honesty and and some, there's some hard truths that we had to share with each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, wh- whatever it was, it totally the 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 film that ended up on Netflix, minimalism, a documentary about the important things. It was somewhere between that that version we showed at Fargo and the version that you sent us. You were able to. I feel like you were or a third. I think there was a third version. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it was really like uh, yeah. I I think I I'm absolutely convinced that the film wouldn't have made as big of an impact if we released v6 or like the original version that we showed in fargo because there's so much more depth to the current one and maybe i'll do a film class one day where i show people the difference and like why this thing like really wasn't working it would have been okay but i don't think it would have been like trending netflix all that you know what's interesting i emotionally feel the same way about the fargo version that we actually uh screened there that we got that got the standing ovation versus what's on Netflix now, the, the emotion is the same. Mm. Um, so personally, I would like to take that class. You should do a video on like yeah. maybe the, the the core differences between. I'm, dude, I think I still have the documents because I remember like because like it's 
I'm looking at all the footage and it's it's I think that's one thing that I learned through that project as a director mm. is like how to communicate. And so I remember putting together these documents kind of like showing you guys the arc and how the story has changed from the first version to the second mm. and um, kind oh, yeah. of like the pivotal turning points. And this is something that we even talked about with Netflix and Netflix is like, you know, like. Uh, you know, with the older versions of the film, like, hey, we haven't really established the problem of the film until six minutes in. Mm-hmm. This is a similar problem that we have with minimalism, mm. where it's like you you realize you're like, okay, wow, yeah, like if if we're not establishing that problem soon enough, then we're not really hooking people in, we're and they don't lose, really know what they're yeah. watching. They don't really know why they're watching, mm-hmm, and right. so those were the kind of problems that I was learning for the first time back when we did minimalism. Yeah, have you seen The Vow on uh, HBO? I don't it's think it's a documentary so. series about. Um, this, uh, I guess you could call it a cult. Like no one ever joins a cult. That's the, the <laughs> right? right. No one ever is like, I'm going to join a cult. Right. They're like, I'm going to join something good, and yeah. they find out it's a cult later. But then they're so invested, they deny that it's a cult. Right? Yeah. Ryan grew up in a cult. Yeah. Um, and uh, even even that, he says pretty much right, because like there's all this identity in it, right? Whereas most outside observers would say it's a cult, but people who come from it, like I also grew up in a cult called the Catholic Church, right? Right. But at a certain point, it becomes a religion, right? I don't know how big a cult has to become to become a religion, but well, I, you, I think you you would say that most religions are cults, right? Um, yeah. As yeah. an outside observer, yes. I, yes. And, and because of you know, dogmatics or whatever, but that aside, the vow, it's. Um, it's really it's this great story, but as I'm watching it, I'm like, this needs Matt Diavella to mm. like. To me, Matt, you, you're a genius, and and there's several places, but you, <laughs> you, you're you sure is Josh. <laughs> just end it right there, Matt. You're genius. No, no, your genius is <laughs> sure is in editing. Like, and I know we would we were talking about bringing other people on to edit the film initially, and yeah, but like your, if we had someone else edit this film. Or the first film, it they wouldn't be what it, it, there's something you're able to piece together stories in a way that you know they say like Kanye West he when he plays he has a what's that called kinesthesia where where you you see colors mm-hmm. uh, like as and, you're playing yeah music makes you see colors yeah. Yeah, yeah and and there's something with editing for you like I don't know you're able to piece something together in a way uh, and that's why with the Fargo incident in particular I. We finished watching it. I I was actually really happy because I thought it was the most elaborate troll. <laughs> I, like, I spent like 40, 60 hours like, editing. So good. I'm yeah. like, this is awesome. He just troll. Okay, the day before, I'm gonna send you guys this cut. <laughs> uh, and uh, but oh, but there there was there's something there. I mean, yeah, it was it was a miss, but it was a miss that led to something far greater, right? It was it was a a failure in a way, mm-hmm. but there aren't really failures. There's a lesson. Yeah, it was one of those things where maybe it's like when you're following a career path and you know that you're not happy in it, and so you try something different, but that Mm. second career path wasn't it either. Right. And like that was it. It was that, that first film. It wasn't it. It was pretty good. It, like there was some emotional weight to it that I think that a lot of people resonated with. That's why I got yeah. a standing ovation. I think you guys just have said like when you first watched the original version of the film, like you, you really resonated, connected with it. Yeah. Um, and then it, it lost a little bit of that. I think I was misguided and I was, um, I think I was trying to find a formula. I was mm-hmm. looking at some other documentaries and I was like, okay, I need that. I need to be like this documentary because it's highbrow and it's like really, um, you know, was well received and critically acclaimed. And then Helvetica was one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. uh, But you know what? Helvetica is beautiful and it's an amazing film in its own right. But it's not the film that I would create and not the story I would tell about the same subject. And Mm. that doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It just means you have to follow your own uh, instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I think that's the same with this. I think that that's the one thing most people probably don't know about me is that, like, I really do love editing and that's really probably where I'm like happiest when I'm like I'll edit 10 12 hours in a day and Mm. like the day will fly by and I'll just be in the moment and like I really do enjoy it and I think that that's one of those it's kind of like the whole Steve Jobs Steve Wozniak thing where Steve Wozniak like he could have been like top exec at Apple but he really loves like the craft and so he didn't like climb that ladder or stick to the top he was like I just actually want to do like the coding and the engineering because that makes me happy and so like will that uh you know i I think that's one of the things that most people 
like neglect is like that you have to continue to do what you love and like I see this with my wife Nat where she if she continued to go where she was she would be like C-suite level like she could certainly be executive level managing all of these teams Mm -hmm. but she loves the work that she does in Mm -hmm. brand strategy and so she loves the actual craft and I think so many people forget that because they're like well this is the next step and they keep going on the next step not realizing they would have been happy three steps back yeah Yeah. if you would have taken the wrong turn you could have had the biggest wedding videography company in America yeah yeah and not been contented with that the same way you are now and and, i mean you're a mozart of editing and i think there's 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 something let's 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 take that to pivot to this new film because it has required a certain amount of jujitsu like editing jujitsu to make it work so it started Mm. as we we talked about in the minimal episode as a a, a monologue. We filmed it the first time in the Wilbur Theater, and it felt like a comedy special without comedy, mm-hmm. which because you you sort of have the expectation. Oh, Wilbur Theater. This is where Joe Rogan filmed his special, but this isn't. That's not us. We were right. given a talk, and the talk was supposed to be the meat of the the meal, but it ended up being like it, we needed all of these other ingredients we needed to create a stew with that meat and and that's really what you did with this i mean i don't know how much of our talks in the film now might be 10 minutes uh, of the actual film is Mm -hmm. is is monologue talk yeah but it's the right 10 minutes yeah Yeah. and we never fought you except for maybe one or two lines but never fought you on on the vision of like yeah take out of that you know whatever it is hour-long talk Mm -hmm. take whatever you feel is appropriate and then how do we make this add the most value? How do we add additional perspectives? How do we tell the story? And that took a special kind of editing. Let's talk about that process. Yeah, I think, well, you always have to question your assumptions when you're, you're making a film, whether you're directing or editing. And the story that you start with isn't the story you finish with. Mm. One of my favorite quotes is, um, you know, if, if your story doesn't change along the way, then you're not listening. Mm. And so you have to continue to listen and pay attention and, and, and adapt as new information comes in. Because really the first film that we had was, it was really two monologues, right? It opens up with Josh with his monologue for about 25 minutes and then Ryan with his monologue for 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. There were a couple cutaways in there where we went to Josh's childhood home and we dug deeper into some of these elements of consumerism. Mm-hmm. But as the film continued to evolve, we added five interviews. We added, uh, what are we calling the uh, the, the average everyday minimalist, everyday minimalist yeah. interviews? Mm-hmm. And so, like, we had um, probably 20 or 30 we everyday 30 those, yeah. minimalist interviews, which are just people who have experienced minimalism for themselves, mm-hmm. who've gone through the discontent and worked their way out with the help of minimalism. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, when you start to add all those elements, when you add all this B-roll, when you add like all these like stats that we have uh, found about debt and consumerism, when you start to pull that together, you realize this is becoming a different film. And in the, you know, we tried early on to actually combine the two monologues. Like, could we interweave them together? Mm -hmm. Because it obviously felt kind of like structured in a way that was negative, where it was like Josh talks and then Ryan talks and then the film ends. And it's Mm -hmm. a little bit awkward in a way. Mm -hmm. And so then that feedback came up early on with Netflix. Like, hey, can we interweave this? And like we tried, it really didn't work. But then we started adding these elements, like Mm -hmm. five expert interviews, 30 interviews from everyday minimalists and all this other footage. And then the question came up again when we brought on new partners, Make Make and Elastic, like amazing team of creatives that did all the animations in the film. And they're like, hey, like, can we actually try this? And I was like, my first instinct was to say, no, we've tried it. It doesn't work. Yeah. But then I had forgotten that we the film has changed a lot since we initially got that feedback. Uh-huh. And so then that's when I took a step back and was like, all right. I think I can do this. Like I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure now at this point I can restructure this thing. It's going to be insane, mm. um, and I'm going to have to throw the entire film up in the air to bring it back together. And that's what I did. Um, and that's where I think the benefit of me being an editor as well as in a director really helps. Like mm-hmm. to be yeah. able to have that kind of control to like, you know, I think you know, understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. And and I may not have been able to communicate that very well to an editor what needs to be done. Um, but I had the vision in my head, so I just went for it myself, and I was able to put that into practice. Mm-hmm. And um, it was crazy. I mean, it was like twelve hour days. I just like flew through it in like four or five days, and then I recut the entire film. <laughs> like mm-hmm. very similar trend that happens throughout my life is recutting <laughs> films. And then we were left with something so much better. Like it was, it's night and day between oh my the differences. God. And then it just continued to get better. And, and then we refined that. But like, I had to question my initial assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I had to say to myself, um, you know, 
I thought the answer was no, but maybe I'm wrong. And then yeah. that's when I switched things up. Yeah. And we all switched things up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't believe how it came together because th the first thing I thought, yeah, when I saw the original, which was just pretty much Josh and I in, in the talk, I was like, man, I wish there was a way to interweave this. And yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, but there's no... There's no way oh, to do bad. that. That's all right, man. It's the maximal episode. I mean, it nobody, doesn't matter that your cell phone's about, interrupting yeah. us. <laughs> Hello? <It's>, no. <laughs> um, you do the Larry King thing? Yeah. <laughs> Larry King did that too. Uh, <laughs> Dave Rubin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Dave Rubin, man. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he answered Rave the phone. Dubin. Yeah. Uh, we had him on, but never published it because he oh, said some... publish it? No, it was, he said some wild did stuff. You do it on the, like, did you publish it to Patreon? Or I, I think we, we might. We might eventually. On Patreon. Let it cool down he, he a little just bit. He said some things that were like, uh, like, what are you? Where are you coming from? Yeah, I yeah. invited him back on to explain himself. And yeah, anyway, um, anyway, uh, yeah, I yeah. Uh, so I'm just emphasizing what you're saying. Bravo, man. Uh, the way you were able to bring it back together. Um, it's, yeah, it's yeah. well, the way that you were able to deconstruct it and then bring it back together is just incredible. That's the key because quite often we can we can blow something up and then it's just exploded right <laughs> right now ryan did have that feedback early on like i think we should mix these monologues but like there th he, he didn't have the um the sort of lexicon right here's how you do it yeah yeah and i was just like this is what needs to happen i have no idea how to do this <laughs> and then we got the feedback from netflix again and same thing they yeah. were just like hey it was kind of like they just echoed ryan they didn't know ryan gave this feedback hey do you think we can mix these together and matt's like oh, i guess i'll try and, and it just like you said it didn't work but then we started working with make make angus wall who um he edited Fight club and social network and girl with the dragon tattoo mm -hmm. it feels like they gave us gave you but gave us some some notes that I, it almost made it feel like they made you feel like it was possible in a way yeah i think it was again i i really yeah yeah it, it, maybe the feedback coming from a different place but they they also came to the feedback and said this might work it might not you probably already tried it and i was like we did try it and then i think i I, again, I just had to like step back and really look at it through a new lens and be like, "Will it work now?" Mm. And and it turns out it did. But like, I had to believe in it in order mm. for it to work. And like, yeah, it may have been coming from a certain person. Maybe that feedback helped. But I think it was mainly because it was coming at the right time mm -hmm. uh, when we were ready to rethink this thing. Because I. But here's the thing: like, I was definitely not at a place where I wanted to recut the film. I was ready for the film to be done. We'd been working on it for three and a half years at that yeah, point, and I'm yeah. like, this is it's a good film. Like, let's just get it out and there. there's a certain point when you have to like accept what it is and not worry about it anymore. Yeah. yeah but then um it's one of those painful realities and like it's funny i mean I, I know that we're like getting technical here and talking a lot about the editing but a similar thing happened with <laughs> after we had picture lock so mm -hmm. we oh had picture God. lock with the film which means that the film is done like making any changes <laughs> after lock. that yeah it's called picture <laughs> lock for a reason <laughs> after that like that's when it goes to color grade and sound mix and all these other things and like mm -hmm. when you go down that road it's very very expensive and you can't edit undo it you right. can't swap it like you maybe can swap shots out but for the most part the structure is intact mm -hmm. and then we got this feedback was like hey actually uh we think that maybe we need to readjust mm. the opening and change it so then we have like the problem established earlier in the film yeah and then it, a similar feedback where i'm like god damn it they're right <laughs> like you, you, you like you have to come to terms with like you know what like when you really oh, watch it yeah. like subjectively and and take a step back Say so, yeah, they're right. And then, um, by the way, you had a vacation planned. <laughs> yeah, was yeah. Coming up. So I do it. Yeah, I did it. And I was like, all right, I'm doing this thing in like two days. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I like recut the intro in two days, yeah. and then we ended up like I don't know. It, that was a freaking a hail mary to get yeah. that done, yeah. and it worked, man. Oh, and not dude. only did it work, it. I, I I was feeling great about the film, but the way you rework the intro, it was like. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know the the Weebay meme. Mm. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I'll have to. You know, he's like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And that's when I got that because I got the call from Xana at it was like a Wednesday night, mm. and I called Matt immediately after, and I'm like, hey, you know how we just turned in the film, right? He's like, yeah, it's all done. I'm like. Yeah, about that. <laughs> How many last days of filming did we have? <laughs> oh my god, we we had about a year and a half of last day of <laughs> right. filming. We were all like high fiving each other every single time. Oh, we did it, guys! Last day. <laughs> Maybe that's a way to do it, though. We got to celebrate, celebrate. so many times. Yeah, right. I'm just I'm waiting for the next phone call. <laughs> we guys, I'm yeah. out of here. Hey guys, we know it comes out tomorrow, but, but hear us out. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, oh, let's talk about we. I, I I talked about my favorite line from the film. Do you do either one of you have a favorite line? I talked about the minimal. So my favorite mm. line is is when Irwin McManus says, "Yeah, I think all of us should have the opportunity to etch a sketch our lives." Mm. And to me, that's the essence of the film. Yeah. How to etch a sketch your life? How to start over when? No matter wherever you are, he's sixty-two years old, mm-hmm. and he's constantly etch a sketching his life. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment or favorite line? You know, one moment that I liked a lot, and this came down to, again, questioning assumptions, but Erwin McManus again said, um, you know, for a lot of people, the American dream is still the American dream. Yes. And I think sometimes we forget that because we've kind of gone through it and we've thought through that lens for so long. And that's what we even talked about in minimalism. But I think even touching on that point that for so many people, the American dream is still real and alive. And it like means freedom and prosperity and like a reasonable income and a life that uh, could actually uh, where they could actually find happiness. Well, specifically, he said people from other countries. Yeah, because he's an immigrant himself. And exactly. So, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I love this point that he makes because like you said, like we're steeped in it and we forget how good we have it. Yeah. Yeah. Where, other, where people in other countries, it's still the American dream because they, they don't have what we have. They're not born with the privileges we're born with. Yeah. Yeah. He made a comment along the lines of like, uh, it's not the American dream for some people. It's become the American nightmare. Right. And that's yeah. for the people that get caught up in the rat race and yeah. the nine to five and doing things because they feel like they need to or that's the society's expectation of them and I think that that's probably going to be the biggest thing this film does is it gets people to question their assumptions and the life that they've been living Mm. that etch-a-sketch moment was great and it it, Mm. it really is I think what was nice about that is because throughout the film we're going from your guys monologue to to these interviews and like they're 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 interweave but they're not really connected and I think that was a moment towards the end of the film where Irwin brings up this comment that kind of ties together your whole story yeah. about the fact that you were on this path but you didn't have to go- keep going and you could actually stop and get off and etch a sketch yeah didn't blow it up my yeah. uh my favorite moment because you know I am the voice of compassion here um, when I, and I did I conducted the interview of that gentleman at the end who started choking up talking about it was one of the uh, everyday minimalists yeah he was choking up talking about his experience with minimalism and as I was interviewing him um, I just I was getting choked up right with him because it just I don't know it just means so much to see our work have that type of effect on someone um it's like when someone comes up to us uh at a a live event we do and they're like you have no idea but you saved my life Mm. and i mean how many times have we heard that man Uh, 17 at least 17 (laughs) times you better be keeping track (laughs) actually and every time we hear it it just it, it feels better and better and better so seeing um an everyday minimalist uh just kind of tell their story and genuinely um and emotionally communicate that. Uh, that's that, that's one of my favorite moments of the of the whole film. And this was Chris's idea. Chris Newhart, who's the mm-hmm. DP on the film, and we we were initially just talking. How do we round this film out? And he goes, "Hey, you guys ever watch reaction videos on YouTube?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I watch. Mm-hmm. I, I watch them all, and I don't know why." Isn't that crazy? I watch them. I'm gonna make reaction videos to reaction videos. <laughs> I'm sure it's been done. <laughs> yeah. But like, I just make reaction videos to Matt's videos. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know there are people who like watch music uh they'll watch a music video right yes and then they will just sort of give their their commentary on it and that's kind of was, was the initial thought like we'll have people react to the first documentary minimalism but it became so much more than that yeah. it became an exploration of these 30 different lives and uh, the one who stands out to me and, and you know I'm I I initially didn't even know we were going to pick her and then Matt was like I think we need to pick Amelia Phipps mm, and, I love her. and yeah and her accent is, is just perfect oh yeah and um, simply southern yeah, oh yeah. man it's she's so good yeah, she's so wonderful and like yeah. she adds this additional quality to the film but I felt like everyone and by the way there were plenty of everyday minimalists who had we did great interviews with it just didn't fit into the film for whatever reason yeah. and, and so that brings me to my next question is like is there anything that didn't make the film that you're just like uh, even though it's amazing and I, I don't want to treat it as precious because it doesn't fit into the film. Um, so much. I mean, cause we did yeah. five, one hour plus interviews plus 30. Dude, minimalist. the bar scene. 
There was yeah. The bar scene was so good. There, we'll have to do that. We can put that on Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, uh, some outtakes. You know what? There there are things like that where you have in your mind the way that something's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that came out because like part of the film it was recreations like going back and recreating your corporate days recreating drug abuse and and some of the things that you went through ryan and like i think some of it felt maybe heavy-handed or a little bit corny like there was like a bar fight that we staged and we created and it just felt a little bit forced and like i think it actually would have pulled people out of the film yeah and you would have been like oh this i don't know what is this well for me it was about showing the the rawness of what a douchey drug addict I was mm. and there's something about that speaking to the etch-a-sketching etch- that we can all do and you know I feel like me being uh, a very good amateur <laughs> at everything I do pretty much <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that you know someone can look at it and they could be like if Ryan can do this then then I can do this mm. and I know that we worked so hard to get those scenes in there that was so it, fun just, too dude yeah, honestly making was, those scenes yeah. that was probably one of those oh fun God. shoots we had where dude. you guys had to fight each other yeah like, and then Tim come told on, bro. me Tim our, our uh, producer he was like Ryan you play a really good douchebag <laughs> 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 but it's funny though because going back to the acting stuff like I really and I feel like I live in LA, so like I mean, there's I could get into a community play or something, man. But um, it actually uh, it has been kind of a dream of mine to play the villain, and um, there is something about playing the douchey drunk guy that you know this for all intents and purposes the villain. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I know it sounds like a really backhanded compliment, but I really just took it as like, wow, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to figure out what to do because there's so many things like that that. You know, it's like the deleted scenes sort of thing. We'll have to figure out because we did this with with minimals. We had six hours of bonus materials, basically, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that we just put up on on uh, uh, Vimeo or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll figure that out. And th- for me, the one thing that stood out it was from Irwin's interview again when he talked about how people confuse minimalism with utilitarianism. Right. And he said, "I think it's so unfortunate because." beauty is essential yeah and i think it, it really it really highlighted what was going on now we could they didn't make the film because we didn't want to wedge anything in obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there were so many scenes like that ryan's drug abuse the the um the i had a cat <laughs> scene yeah oh like, yeah yeah that's tough because yeah it was like it was something that works really well live but then yeah. didn't quite work well in the film right um i think like yeah like to your point in, in wedging things in those are the sacrifices that you need to make and the yeah. hard decisions you need to make as an editor or a director where this that line works great mm-hmm. but if you go there you have to go there and we need like we can't just have him say it and just plug it in and that's it like yeah. how do we dive deeper into that topic yep. um, like do we have other people that are saying things that complement that message that take it a little bit further um, and so we just didn't have that there's also something about and, and Melbourne has helped me appreciate this especially with like the quality conversations there's something about leaving people wanting more if you do something and like try to get as much as you can out of something then sometimes it becomes a little bit too much and then people leave feeling like maybe they uh, could have ended sooner so all that to say is is this is kind of how um, I make myself feel good about cutting out what I thought were re- really important scenes is like you know what it's actually a good thing that I am left wanting a little bit more in there. Well, do you guys have that that experience yourself? If you watch a documentary that's an hour and 15 minutes or yeah. you watch a documentary series that's yeah. seven episodes that really should have been three uh-huh. <laughs> and you're like, okay, like we understand. We yes. get the point. Yeah, like exactly. move this thing along. Yeah, and this I, film's 51 minutes. Right. And that's, to me, it's a testament to your, again, your ability to edit because you could have easily made this three hours long. Mm-hmm. We had more than enough. I mean, you could have taken the expert interviews and just like tr- chopped them up and yeah. made a three hour long thing. Mm. But uh, we, we, we didn't want to put too much in there because uh, a lot of what happens happens to the right of the frame is what mm. I always say. You yeah. know, it, 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 you, you have to make some assumptions based on what, what's on the screen. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the social dilemma. Like I think about that documentary and they could have gone more with it. But what's awesome is that because of where they didn't go, it creates conversations. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I, no, I totally, 
I, I look at you know other documentaries I've seen and and being left with wanting a little bit more to me is it's it's a good thing. Oh, mm-hmm. totally. Let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. I want to talk to Matt about some of his uh, experiments. I know you do things like wake at five a.m. and you um, recently put up a video about how you wore the same shirt for three years straight. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So I, I, I do have 10 of the same shirt. <laughs> Actually, 20 of the same shirt. Yeah. I have it in gray and uh, charcoal. And so uh, I want to be clear. It wasn't the same exact shirt that I wore every single day. Why not? I- um, <laughs> dude, I actually did that. Like, you, you guys know, I remember when I got sued for seven million dollars. Yes. we yeah. can't get into that whole story. It's, right. it's really long. Yeah. But as a part of that, like, we, I, it maybe was, you ahead. did a video on it, so you can pe- Google it. People, you can Google it, and didn't you do a video about that particular story? Someone interviewed him, and he talked about. Yeah, it. it's online. Okay. If you look up, yeah, like Matt Diavella, like sued seven million dollars. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so the story's out there. For the you story's to, out for there you if you're out. really interested in it. Um, but this is kind of like it was, I guess, an omen. But like. We, we made these shirts called the Fresh Beats because that was the name of our rap group that we created uh-huh. that the rap group got sued really <laughs> it's a, I guess I I'm gonna leave a lot of untied ends here that's just like <laughs> in the this best story. name for a high school rap group yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for <laughs> a couple Fresh of kids beats. like yeah, dude, dude that's pretty good that's pretty so good right. and so then um, we had these shirts that we sold to help raise money for attorneys and our lawyers <laughs> yeah. that were Fresh Beats and so we sold a bunch of shirts and then uh, I decided that I was gonna wear the shir- same shirt every day until the lawsuit settled yeah. Uh, I gave up because it took over a year to, oh. for us to settle the lawsuit. So I, I, but I did 100 days of wearing the same exact shirt without washing it. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it was actually it was a little it, rank. Not recommended. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that it certainly doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys know this. Like, you, you dress very simply. Mm. Um, I think for me, it's like obviously like there were special occasions and there's going out to nice dinners and whatnot. But every day I, I wore. Uh, a t-shirt and jeans mm-hmm. and it's just easier yeah, that way totally um i find you know certainly it's easier for me working from home obviously yeah. like i don't have to deal with a lot of the judgment that many people get in going to the corporate office environment i know mm-hmm. that there's a lot more pressure on people who go into an office although Less than you would think though we, we had a yeah. friend nina yao i don't know if you remember her she was a, one of the early minimalists and she worked in hr mm-hmm. at a at a, a big pharmaceutical company and she wore the same red sweater, exact same red sweater every day with black pants for a year. Mm-hmm. One person noticed. Wow. One person said something. Yeah. That's right. what my wife would exactly. say. She'd be like, well, one person said something. Uh, yeah. But did, right. but yeah. still, it's like, who gives a shit? Exactly. Right. Like, who cares? And like Courtney Carver has been amazing at this. And she mm-hmm. shows that you can really have a very, very simple wardrobe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing to know that there's an example like that where like, yeah, re- wear a red sweater. Nobody's going to give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that people have to realize. And it's like, I hope that people wouldn't let the fear of what other people are going to say, hold them back from living the life that they actually mm. want. And like, if you're really worried that much about, okay, like there is perhaps um a bit of a game to when you're in the corporate environment. I don't know if that's a game that I would want to play in it where like you have to dress nice and you have to always have like new clothes or whatever. I think really it's more of that's a personal thing. Like you notice more than anybody else would notice. Um, But I think you have to like to break away from that is completely fine. And if that hurts your career, then maybe you're in the wrong career. Yeah. No, I, I, I loved the, Brooks Brothers suits. Now, since then, I love people and I use things. But at the time, (laughs) (laughs) I really uh, loved the Brooks Brothers suits. And like people would come up to me and they're like, Ryan, you look like you're always running for president. (laughs) And and, like that made me feel (laughs) good. It's a compliment. Right. Yeah, it's a compliment. Um, But uh, but but there was a lot of identity wrapped up in that that I'm really glad I was able to let go of. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time. We got three questions here. Jackson's okay. asking, why did you choose Netflix over other platforms for the release of Less Is Now? Dude, they're a good home. Netflix is great to work with. Um, yeah. What, what was that look? No, I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, you know we really it's not like we with this speci- specific film we didn't go shop it around everywhere. Like minimalism had done so well. Um, we didn't, ahead. didn't we, didn't we bring lesses now to a couple other no. streamer well, streaming so, services? No, what we did was we, we took the trailer and the 20 page proposal that I put together and gave it to our agent mm-hmm. and gave Netflix basically the first right of refusal. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't realize that. Now it was different with the first film. The first film, they turned us down twice. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> right? And and we didn't even get a meeting with them or anything. It was just a hard no via the uh, intermediary that, who we were working through. And so we did our own theatrical release. We put it on Vimeo for 90 days, and then we put it on iTunes and everywhere else. But it did so well on iTunes that it got their attention, and they came to the table and said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll give yeah. you uh, some money. We eventually found out there was some fuckery going on there as yeah. well, which uh, we won't get into we can't the really details. Talk about. But <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I'm so glad, though, of all the fuckery that just <sighs> happened to get it on Netflix um, because if it would have just went straight to Netflix mm-hmm. – um, you know, we wouldn't have got as many lessons out of it that we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And f- for those lessons, I am I am truly grateful. And there's there's something there about hey, look, uh, you can be told no twice. That's okay. You don't need permission from Netflix or from a publisher or from whatever to like put your work out there. Yeah. And if you do good work, like people are going to notice. It doesn't matter how many times you get told no. Like do good work. Don't worry about who's telling you yes or no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think for, for somebody who's starting out and that maybe their end goal is to get on a Netflix. Um, is that a good goal? Uh, I don't think it's going to make them happy <laughs> you know, right. personally. Like it, it's the same thing as being like, I want 3 million subscribers right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe if you want to make an impact, that's one thing. If you really want to create a story and share it with people, yeah. um, that's, that's another thing. And so, uh, for me, like my end goal, my end dream was not to get on a Netflix, but I understand that appeal and I understand why people would, would yeah. want that. And it certainly does like, well, it doesn't you... necessarily open up doors. Maybe it opens up doors, but you still have to like knock on the doors. You still have to go out and find yeah. those opportunities and having that credit certainly helped to say, oh, I made a Netflix documentary. Then it's like, like some people see yeah. that as like validation that, okay, this person's probably good at what they do. Could you imagine if that was our end goal though? Of like yeah. one day we're going to be on Netflix because it's like my family, uh, I'll be talking to them or, you know, when the documentary first came out on Netflix, they were like so impressed and they're like, oh, wow, you finally made it. <laughs> like you're on Netflix. And I'm like, this is the beginning. Yeah. Like this or, is, this or is, I made it a long time ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you know, Netflix being the end goal, could you imagine if that, well, we just like, well, we did it. We're done. Like that's, um, yeah. yeah. I don't I don't do goals, but like the 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 time I realized we made it was our very first tour stop, St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah, it was uh, November 2011, mm-hmm. and eight people showed up. It was great, and I'm like, we're it, huggers. I guess way, we're huggers. By the way, I've <laughs> never been more successful than that. Yeah, that that mm. everything that's happened since then, we've had we've spoken in front of fifteen thousand people before. I've never yeah. been more successful than that day. Yeah, um, because I've never needed any additional validation. And anytime I catch myself feeling like I, it, because it can become addictive, right? Mm-hmm. We we've said no to a bunch of media over the last three years because I realized like, oh. I'm starting to want this. Yeah. And if I want this, that that's empty. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. show up empty, you're going to leave empty. That's not, it's not going to fill you up. Yeah. If you show up full though, like we did in St. Peter's, right? We show up we we show up full for that. Yeah. We left full as a result. Mm-hmm. And to your you know, your point about the crowd of 15,000, like we have talked in front of a, a crowd of 15,000 people. That's easier to me than that crowd of eight that oh, we I agree had. with that too because and, and the the quality of those interactions with the eight people versus you know the fifteen thousand here's a talk um the quality is, is so much there's just so much more quality there with that group of that smaller group we have two minutes left and two all more right. questions right, brian right. has a question for us uh who are we going to brian if filmmaking had not worked out for you what would you likely be doing Instead, we already talked about this. You'd be a, the most famous <laughs> pasta maker in the pasta world. Pasta maker? No, wedding, wedding, uh, <laughs> well, I'd be a filmmaker wedding then. videographer. Oh, is that? Oh, I think yeah, that's a okay. similar thing. All right, same thing. I always wanted to be a baseball player growing up. Yeah. I, I was never that this. good though. So I, that would have been my dream if I could have done anything else. Comedy there, maybe? Oh yeah. That's yeah, a, that's a good one. Yeah, definitely. I don't think, I mean, I probably could have done stand up comedy. I don't know if I would have been uh, greatly successful at it, but like, I think um, that was at one point in my life, I, I did stand up comedy for about a year and like, I just was voracious at like writing jokes. Do you want to tell and, us your favorite joke? Uh, no, <laughs> no, there 
they're all highly offensive. Yeah, I mean, but this <laughs> and is they Patri- did not age well. This is Patreon. I mean, all right, all right, don't don't do it. Okay, you want to? All right, you want one? Yeah. yeah. All right, great. It's a 9/11 joke. I just want to warn you. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so too soon. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I I said, uh, and it, a lot of these were just like one-liners, yeah. and I think I would like play a guitar like Dimitri Martin, uh-huh. but I said. Um, so I got a, uh, I just got a new puzzle of the World Trade Center buildings. I opened up the box, but I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah, it's pretty oh, fucked we're up. To, we're gonna have to bleep that whole <laughs> joke out now. <laughs> that's funny because well, sometimes I would tell that joke, and then um, oh my god, sometimes people would be like, oh, oh they're like, that's funny. But then like half the crowd would like oh, like outweigh them with laughter and applause yeah. for like, and actually that was one of the only jokes where I had other comedians who were like veterans in like Philly come up to me and be like. That was a really good one. That's like yeah. really clever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like, yeah, they were highly inappropriate. Very different from what I do now. <laughs> but like for me, it was, um, and, and I think that like this like, stand up, it's like you don't always say what you mean. You say what's funny. You say what you try, you're trying to get a laugh out of. Yeah. Right. I think I really enjoyed doing that and like writing jokes. And I try to include more like dad friendly jokes <laughs> in mm. my videos oh, these yeah. days. You do a great but, job with humor that is, yes. um, man, it. It doesn't feel like you're trying too hard. Yeah. People on YouTube who do humor, it's it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah that, I think you always walk the line of being like, is this too corny? Is this like over the top? Is this just silly, or is it like funny? And like, you make mistakes and you you do things that maybe are a little bit over the top sometimes. But um, I think yeah, maybe I, I think probably I I might not have been a stand up comedian, but I would have been. Uh, I probably would have ended up writing jokes and been a writer. Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally agree with what Josh said. Like the whole. The video you did on minimalism and not having clothes and all like that's that was good man <laughs> that was yeah that was like the big one for my channel a day in the life of a minimalist that yeah, was like that was great didn't didn't know it would uh take off but uh uh you want, want me to read chuck's question here yeah uh, and i think uh yeah that's it all right cool uh, what do you plan to do for your next film project? Well, Matt DiVello will never make another film for us again. I'm retiring. <laughs> I keep telling Natalie, I'm like, I'm retiring. This is it. I'm done. I'm never doing this again. But I, I'm sure, I think uh, I probably need like a little bit of a break uh, before yeah. I spin those wheels up again. Mm-hmm. But like, um, yeah, there, I mean, I don't know about you guys. There's so many different ideas mm-hmm. that I would want to tackle in terms of a feature film. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the thing about ideas is is they're not worth much <laughs> mm. until you feel the strong enough desire where like this has to be made. Yeah, and we've done that twice now, where it's like this has to be made, and we've felt that that good. And if we find that again, great. But let's take some time to to celebrate, to breathe, mm-hmm. to uh, appreciate where where we are right now. Yeah, Matt, we certainly appreciate you, dude. Bro. You're the man. Thanks, guys. Thanks you're so the man. <laughs> Um, list. Thanks for thanks for <laughs> <laughs> thanks for letting us have you. Thanks for being had. Awesome. This is fun. <laughs> All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. Check out less is now. Check out Matt Diavella on yeah. YouTube. Also check out slowgrowth.com. Heck yeah. Where he has his courses. All right, y'all. See you next time. See ya. Don minimalists. <laughs>